We come now to our continuing study of First and Second Thessalonians, and particularly in Second Thessalonians, now arriving at chapter three. We really only have a few more messages that will come to us, and we'll be completely finished with First and Second Thessalonians, and what a spiritual ride we have been on. It has been glorious, certainly for me, and I trust for you as well. Under the title of this morning's message, which is the rapidly spreading message of the honorable gospel, the rapidly spreading message of the honorable gospel, I want to talk this morning about gospel ministry gospel ministry. Now, you have probably heard that is, it has been said by others, and I believe it to be true, that one of the things that the Lord is doing in keeping us on the earth after our conversion to Jesus Christ is our sanctification, of course, our holiness, our growth in grace. That's true. The Lord is continuing to fashion us and grow us in Christ, and all of the trials, all of the tests, all of the changes, all of the challenges that we go through in the Christian life is all designed for God to make and remake us into His own Son's image. Now, the ways in which God does that The time that it takes for God to do that in His providence and plan is often, for us, myself included, up for debate. Lord, are you sure? Are you sure now? Are you sure that? And when the Lord chooses those things in our lives, He does have a plan, He does have a purpose, and we are to understand and know, not, of course, perfectly and not in an all-knowing way so that we're completely in agreement with His plan because we don't know this side of providence, what God is doing, but we receive it because we know God to be a good God, we know God to be a faithful God, we know Him to have a plan, and we know that that plan is indeed perfect and that we receive it and we want it because it ultimately does conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Having said that, though, part of our sanctification, if we could call it that, is not just the edification of ourselves, the building up of ourselves, but as I prayed a moment ago, the evangelization of the lost. That's also very much a part of our sanctification. It's also part of the way that we grow and that we're nurtured and that we see God working in our lives and, of course, through us, His working in others' lives. And you and I have probably heard from others, and again, I think it to be true, that one of the things, one of the ways, perhaps potentially right alongside the sanctification of the believer and certainly as very much a part of it, is how God uses us on this earth uniquely 
to be God's spokesman for the gospel toward others. You might even have heard it this way, that the chief reason that God has us remaining on the earth is for the evangelization of the lost. I don't think it's the exclusive reason, but I've I've heard Bible teachers say, well, if you're talking about sanctification, if you're talking about growth and grace, if you're talking about being conformed to the image of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, then that can happen in heaven. In fact, it will happen in heaven, and it will be instantaneous. So why doesn't the Lord just zap us up, take us there, bring us to glory, so that we could be instantly like Christ? Well, that is our hope. That is our desire, but there are things left for us to do. And one of those, of course, is the slow growth of grace, but another, and chiefly, I would assume, a part of that growth in grace is our need, opportunity, and obligation to communicate the gospel to others. Now, there's where the conviction comes. How good am I at doing that? How faithful am I to communicate the gospel to others? Whether it be my neighbors or someone on an airplane or someone in our city, perhaps a relative, someone who desperately we know, we believe, we assume needs the gospel. Sometimes all you have to do is listen to their speech or listen to how they communicate things about the world. And you and I might say, I wonder if that person's a Christian, or you might even say, I'm certainly assuming that person isn't a Christian. And so what do we do in response? How do we, how do we engage this person? How do we talk to them? Well, one thing's for sure, if, if you've ever read anything by this man, Paul, you know that it was his all-consuming passion to communicate the gospel. That's what he was all about. That's what he lived for. Now, it wasn't just because God had called him to it. Certainly, God did call him to it. In fact, the Bible teaches us, for instance, like in Galatians chapter 1, that God had called Paul to ministry while he was still in his mother's womb. That's how far back it goes. Indeed, you could take it even further. God had called Paul before the foundation of the world. But then again, it's also true that God has called us before the foundation of the world, and part of that calling is not just our own salvation, but our salvation speaking to others. It is our obligation. And yes, it is our opportunity. And the Apostle Paul wants us to know, he wants the Thessalonians to know, that this ministry of gospel spreading isn't just something that was a cul-de-sac when I came to Christ. When I came to Christ, if there was ever an excitement, ever an opportunity, ever 
a real sense of the obligation to tell others it was right then and there. You've heard that phrase or that little soliloquy that it's like two beggars, one telling another where he's found bread. I I found salvation. I I found the bread of life. I I found the gospel. I I found out how to be right with God, and, and I want to tell you about it. And our excitement is probably never so heightened than when we ourselves were confronted with the gospel, perhaps from somebody else, perhaps from reading the Bible, uh, perhaps from listening to preaching, uh, wh- whatever and however you and I came to faith in Christ at that very initial point of salvation, we're so glad, we're so giddy, we're so happy, we're, we're so impacted that we want to just tell everyone around us the same thing for which we ourselves were so impacted. And then I think something happened. Maybe we call it life. Challenges, struggles, problems, issues, tests, trials, changes, challenges. And sometimes we can be lulled into assuming, well, that's the preacher's job to communicate the gospel. That's why we have elders and deacons in the local church. They'll do that sort of thing for us. But Paul will have none of that. He'll have none of that because he believed in what you and I could call, and it's what you and I share as well, gospel partnership. We're all in partnership together. You know that wonderful Greek word koinonia, koinonia, sometimes translated, and appropriately so in its various contexts, fellowship. And we often think immediately then of what I had you do this morning. Now you know the method to my madness. I wanted you to have a few minutes where we were watching you, I was watching you have fellowship. And you had a lot of it in a few minutes. But fellowship, koinonia in the New Testament, is not just as Christians come together and love each other and hug each other and talk to each other about the Lord and what the Lord is doing in our lives and how the Lord is fashioning and shaping us into Christ's own image and we can't wait to talk to our friends at our Bible study and we we can't uh, wait to be able to see and talk to one another about what the Lord is teaching us in our Christian lives. And there is something to say, eagerly so, about Christian fellowship. But koinonia, that word, is also translated in other contexts and perhaps with your English Bible, appropriately translated as partnership, partnership in the gospel. And Paul certainly had his partners, and we know some of them listed in these two letters, Timothy and Silvanus, and others who were Paul's dear friends and partners in the gospel ministry. But don't leave out, for sure, don't leave out the Thessalonians themselves. I mean, in this glorious study that we've had over many, many months, I've gone verse by verse, sometimes phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, and sometimes letter by letter 
to communicate that the gospel partnership that Paul is talking about in these two letters, and of course in all of the letters, the epistles that he has written, and including all the other Bible writers, this idea of a partnership includes even those who have just come to faith in Christ themselves. And then also there are many years of growth in grace. And they never stopped being gospel partners. We're all partners. We're all doing this together. We're all in it together. We're all communicating the gospel. And not just by the way we live. That's important. It's not just our lives, but it's also our lips. It's what we actually communicate to people. We talk to them, and we ask them questions. Do you know the Lord? What are you talking about? Who's the Lord? What does that mean? I just watched a chapel message in which there were a number of young people who were communicating about the witnessing that they had undertaken in the previous week. And so they were all coming up to the microphone, and they were all communicating who they had spoken to about the gospel in that week. And one of them said that they talked to someone, and they said, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. And the person said, who is that? Never heard that person. This is in the United States of America, I should remind you. Well, that's like saying, saying, sick him to a mad dog to the Apostle Paul. Let me add him. We'll tell him about Jesus. We'll tell him about the Lord. We'll tell him about what Christ has done in our lives. And as Paul writes both First and Second Thessalonians, what he's doing is he is teaching truth, to be sure. And he is telling them about the day of the Lord. That's right. And he is about to, in chapter 3, really, really hammer home the concept that you cannot be a busybody in the church fellowship, that you have to work and you have to do your part and you have to eat your own bread, and he's going to chide them about this. He's going to challenge them about this, and that'll take up the bulk of this chapter. But as he writes, and as this letter comes to a close... While what I just said makes up the bulk of that chapter, yes, it is prefaced by the first five verses. And I read them to you earlier. Look at them again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, under that title, the rapidly spreading message of the honorable gospel. Listen to what Paul communicates to these people blessed brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. Finally, brothers, that is, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead. Or how about rapidly spread and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, with our Western eyeglasses on, 
and I have the very same temptation you do. I read those words that I just read aloud to you, and one of the first things that comes into our minds is I'm reading that as an individual. Okay, pray for us that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And then you start thinking the you, not of the Thessalonians, but of yourself. Yes, I, I remember when, when the, the gospel spread to me and it came to me from someone or some circumstance and, and the Lord saved me and the Lord is faithful. Oh, and yes, he establishes me and guards me against the evil one. Praise God for that and wicked and evil men. And, and oh, I do, according to verse 4, want to have confidence in the Lord. Uh, I, I want to have confidence in the Lord and I want him to have confidence in me that I am doing and will do the things that he commands me. Oh, and I'm so grateful that, that the prayer here is that the Lord would direct my heart to the love of God, and to the steadfastness of Christ. And you and I may even take those five verses and we get into our prayer closet and as an individual we're reading along and we're reading those words and you're actually praying as you read and then you take these, this very language of these verses and you pray it right back to the Lord just as I did. And there's not a thing wrong with that except for one little glitch. And that little glitch is this. This is written to a church. This is written to a collective group of people. And this is an opportunity for Paul to ask them to pray for him and his associates and to the Thessalonians about the mission, the mission of gospel spreading, the mission of talking to people about the Lord. Because this is exactly what happened to the Thessalonians. Paul had come to them only months earlier. I've mentioned this to you before. This is a new church. We might even say in some ways it's a brand spanking new congregation. And Paul is constantly in these two letters reminding them about their gospel partnership, that that's why we're here, that's why we're alive, that's why we're breathing, so that we as a group, not just individuals, we as a group have the opportunity to have these things instilled in us so that we can turn around and talk to others about the gospel. This is what this is all about. These five verses, if you want to take them and sort of uh, look at them like a diamond and every facet of it, and you turn it and you see how the refraction of the light sort of gives you new insight, new opportunities to see what he's talking about. And as I was doing that, as I was meditating on this passage, I was thinking, you know, this is about spreading the gospel. This is about a gospel partnership. This is about what we as individuals, yes, because we're not always going to be as a group talking to one person. It's going to be one person talking to one person or one person talking to a couple of people. But ultimately for the training of gospel partnership, we all ought to learn how to effectively as an individual, as we are enriched and equipped and edified this morning, How do we engage in gospel partnership? How do we do that? Well, I see four things here. I see four things here 
in which we as a church, and then of course by extension, you and me as individuals can have Paul's direct components or marching orders for how to do gospel ministry. I see four of them very clearly here. The first one in verses 1 and 2, the second one in verse 3 by itself, the third one by itself in verse 4, and the last one by itself in verse 5. And here they are. Number one. Number one. How do you have gospel partnership? How do you How do you band together as a group of believers in a local church to be more effective regarding the gospel? Well, obviously, it's to pray. And I've outlined the point like this. Prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth. Prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth and protection from gospel hindrances. Prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth and protection from gospel hindrances. That's what verses 1 and 2 are all about. Paul says, verse 1, finally, brothers. Now, this is why I love Paul. This is why I love him so much. Because he's got a lot more to say in this chapter than what he's starting here by the word finally, that's exactly what I do as the preacher. I say finally, and it goes on for another 10 minutes. This is Paul. This is a finally, but it's not a finally finally. The finally finally will come, but it's not yet here. And what he says is, finally brothers, which of course means brothers and sisters, and then that phrase, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for me, Paul says. Now, Paul, Paul was a Reformed guy. He believed that God is sovereign. He knew that God was empowering him. He knows the outcome. He knows that God is sovereign. But Paul also is a man of means. What kind of means? The means by which God's sovereignty is put on display, and that is, in one way, through prayer. He's very balanced in his Reformed leanings, very balanced. God is sovereign. God will bring the elect in the appointed time to a conscious understanding of faith in Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit regenerating the human heart because without it we are dead souls. We cannot respond to the gospel. We will not. No one that you and I are talking to who is a walking dead man, will understand the gospel unless God opens the heart of that person by the Holy Spirit regenerating that person, opening their eyes, opening their ears, so that that for the first time possibly, even though they may have heard the gospel itself a hundred times, but for the first time, as their eyes are opened and their ears are unplugged, they are understanding the gospel. And how does that happen? Paul says, by praying for it. By praying for it. Pray for us. This isn't Paul just ending the letter by, oh, and by the way, this is the way letter writing goes in the first century, and we start with a a salutation, a benediction, and we end with a benediction, and we say, oh, yeah, and by the way, pray for us. No, he means it. He actually means it. He believes that one of the ways that God's sovereign acts of the salvation of sinners is brought to display to a watching world is through prayer itself. 
prayer. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We, we, we're getting our marching orders here. And prayer is critical. Prayer is crucial. And what kind of prayer? That the word of the Lord. That's a phrase that's talking about the gospel. The gospel, the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ lived. He lived a perfect life. He died an ignominious death on a cross. At that time, in the first century, that kind of death, and probably in so many ways in 20 centuries, is one of the most horrific deaths to experience. And when Jesus died, he died as a substitute. He paid the penalty for the sins of everyone who would ever believe, though he himself was sinless. And then he was in this crucifixion, taken down and entombed for three days. And then on that glorious Sunday, which is why we celebrate the Lord every Sunday, that's why we call this the Lord's Day, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to ever live to make intercession for us, to ever live to be the great high priest. And as high priest, We pray through him to the Father for salvation of souls. And this is why we pray. And we pray because the word of the Lord, the gospel, may speed ahead and be honored. I just just love that. I just love the idea that the gospel is likened to some kind of apparatus that it's in motion. And I would think, because he's talking to persons, that the in-motion spreading of the gospel is through not what, but whom? Through us. Oh, yes, it could be through a radio dial. It could be through the Internet. It could be through a television screen. It could be an iPad. It could be a computer. It could be all of those things and more. But it's somebody talking. It's somebody communicating. It's somebody who is asking our Lord through prayer, like Paul here, that the word of the Lord, the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ may speed ahead or spread rapidly. I love that. And I think part of the reason that Paul is talking about the fact that it needs to spread rapidly is because time is what? Short. It's running out. We have a limited amount of time in our lives, even here as human beings, before the Lord takes us, and because time is fleeting, it's running out, may the Lord spread His gospel speedily. That's clearly what He's talking about here. And by the way, you want to know another little picture? Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 about this word of the Lord, about this gospel. This is so grand. This is what the preacher does when it's like, you know, midnight and he can't put his Bible down because he's, he's finding, he's discovering, he's seeing, he's, he's searching. And look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. For not only, Paul tells the Thessalonians, 
has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we not, need not say anything. Do you see that little phrase there? The word of the Lord sounded forth. So, sounded forth and speedily, rapidly going forward. Don't you love those two concepts? Those two ideas? And it's through the vehicle called me, myself, and I. It's through the the portal of you and me communicating the gospel to others. And I love the fact that 1 Thessalonians 1.8 says that it sounded forth. That's the Greek term from which we derive our English word echo. Echo. We need to echo the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And, and that echoing forth of the gospel is also so that it might spread rapidly, as he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, and be honored. Have you ever thought about that? That the gospel and its effects are to be honored. That's why we honor those who communicate the gospel. That's why Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. We honor those who communicate the gospel. And I know in our Western eyes and ears, we, we tend to say, well, that's why I love my preacher so much. That's why I love these men of the church. They, they, they do the job, and we're so grateful, and I could never communicate the gospel to anybody because it's, it's uh, something that I'm very fearful of, and, and I hesitate greatly because, you know, what if they ask me questions that I don't know the answer of? And so we'll just pay the preacher. We'll just pay somebody to do it, or we'll just be praying for it. And Paul knows nothing of that. What he knows is, finally, brothers, pray for us. And you say, yeah, that's the, that's the apostolic band there. Yes, yes, that the word of the Lord may spree, uh, speed ahead, spread rapidly, and be honored, as happened among you, the Bible says. Now, you say, well, that means that the gospel penetrated your hearts as happened to you, but, but you can't just say that that's the only thing there because he's saying that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. In other words, you tie in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and how he extols them and compliments them and encourages them that that's exactly what you were doing as you marched around Macedonia and Achaia. Everywhere you went, you were talking about the gospel. You were spreading gospel seed, and and you did that not only by what you said, but how your faith was growing and how your Christian life was growing so that people could say, what's going on with you? I knew you some other way before, and the other way that I knew you before wasn't pretty. So what happened? What happened to you? Don't tell me you, you got religion. Don't tell me. I was hearing from those while I was gone because I put up my house to list and somebody walked in and saw all of these books in the garage and said, he must be really religious. So 
That's what people think, of course. I mean, all of these Christian books in there. What does this guy do with all of his time? Well, the answer is, of course, to read them. But not just read them, to read them for application, to read them for comprehension, so that you could be better equipped, you can be better edified, so that you have the opportunity to do exactly what Paul is extolling about these brothers and sisters. We need to pray for us, and that's also praying for you, that the word of the Lord, the gospel, may speed ahead, may be an echo of glory and be honored as happened among you. That's what I call prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth. Gospel growth. And not just that, but also for for protection from gospel hindrances. And that's verse 2. So Paul is saying, we got to pray for gospel growth. we got to pray for the seed of the word of the gospel to take root in people's lives, that it may speed ahead and be an honorable spreading of the gospel among all of those, including the Thessalonican believers, and, verse 2, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Well, that's, that's Paul too, yes. That's, that's Paul asking them to pray for him that he will be delivered from wicked and evil men. But don't you know that that's exactly what happened to the Thessalonians? Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And he says to them, he says to them, I know you've suffered. I know you have. He says, I've been, I've been treated shamefully. This is, this is something that I've endured. But you also, according to verse Nine, you you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and you're waiting for your deliverance from the wrath to come. And while you wait, people are not happy about your message. Have you ever been confronted when you've communicated the gospel to others? Hey, don't tell me that trash. I don't want to hear that from you. Or they might just dismiss you altogether. Not interested. Go away. My brother-in-law, Michael Walsh, 31-year faithful missionary in the Republic of Ireland, the country dominated like 99.7% Roman Catholics. You can't even knock on a door if you're not a Roman Catholic. You knock on the door, and you say, I'm an evangelical Christian, and I'd like to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Slam! Don't want to hear it. They think evangelicals, because they're not Roman Catholics, are cultish, like you're in a cult. And so people get mad. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 2, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. Shamefully treated. And then in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, he says this, he says, No wonder we're giving thanks to God for you, verse 3. We boast about you, verse 4, in the churches for your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And then he says in verse 5, he uses the word suffering and affliction in verse 6. So there you have it, persecutions, afflictions, and suffering. This is, this is part and parcel. This is a part of it. 
No wonder, he says, pray for us. No wonder. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. What wicked men? Well, it's just like Acts 23, when there was actually a mob of of Jewish Christ haters who said they would go on this fast, like a 40-day fast, to neither eat nor drink until Paul was dead. Acts 23. Now, I'd say that's some commitment to see one man's life snuffed out. Now, you say, well, that's, that's not what we experience in the here and now. That's true. It could come. could come. But even if it's not experienced that way, then why would we be reluctant to communicate the gospel to people who aren't taking a knife to our throat? We've got, we've got far less hindrances than this, right? Afflictions, suffering, persecutions. All the Lord's asking us to do is just open our mouth. And that's where we probably need most the prayers. Lord, give me boldness. Give me strength. Give me opportunity. I want to pray to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth and, yes, protection from gospel hindrances. Lord, give me an opportunity to to not see a roadblock in my relationship with so-and-so. This is, um, this is step number one. This is our marching orders. This is a way to do it, right? Number two. Number two. I call it, verse three, faithfulness from the Lord Jesus. If it's prayer to the Lord Jesus, number one. Number two, it's faithfulness from the Lord Jesus for strength and safekeeping concerning Satan. Faithfulness from the Lord Jesus for strength and safekeeping concerning Satan. And now Paul is revealing who's behind it all, all the persecution, all the suffering, all the tension, all the affliction, all the objections. Here it is. Pray for us, he says, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly, speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for, notice the explanation word for, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. I left off that little part of verse 2 because I want to compare it and contrast it with the first part of verse 3. Notice the little word play here. For not all have faith. That includes these wicked and evil men, of course. But notice the word play. Not all have faith, but the Lord is what? Faithful. See the word play there? That's intentional. Not all have faith. Not all are going to believe. There are going to be many who reject, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord's faithful. He's faithful. Faithful for what? What what will he do in his faithfulness? If, If there are wicked and evil men out there, because not all have faith, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus, I take that to be the Lord Jesus, he's faithful. What will he do in his faithfulness? He will, verse 3, establish you and guard you against the evil one. Now, that's a, that's a different beast right there. There are evil and wicked men. They, they are the evil men. This is the evil one. This is a reference to Satan. The Lord is faithful 
he will establish or read into that, strengthen, strengthen you. Faithfulness from the Lord Jesus for strength. And then it says, and guard you. That's safekeeping. He will guard you concerning Satan. And Paul had a battle. I mean, he had a battle on his hands. He says back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, here's what you came across, brothers. You became imitators, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, that is, your fellow rabble-rousers, your uh, fellow Gentiles, your fellow unbelievers, as they, the Judean Christians, the Judean churches, as they did from the Jews, the Jews who hated Christianity, who hated Christ. And what did they do? How much did they hate Christ? Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, Paul and his apostolic band, and who displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Hindering. Yes, and who's behind it? Look at verse 18. Paul says, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. No wonder Paul is saying, I, I, need, I need prayer. We need prayer. We need prayer that the Lord, who is faithful, will make sure that we are protected, strengthened, have safekeeping from Satan himself. Boy, if that isn't a second and most essential marching order, I don't know what is. That's why I ought to be praying. You ought to be coming back on Sunday nights. We're going to pray tonight. We're going to pray for things like this. We're going to look at Psalm 87. We're going to spend some time in prayer. It's a very, very short psalm. And then we're going to spend some time praying these kinds of things. Prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth and protection from gospel hindrances. And the greatest hindrance to the gospel is, in fact, Satan himself. And so we need faithfulness from our Lord for strength and safekeeping. Thirdly, thirdly, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord Jesus. That's verse 4. Here's marching order number three, to trust in the Lord Jesus for present and future obedience to the Word of God. That's exactly what he says here in verse 4. We need to trust in the Lord Jesus for present and future obedience to the Word of God. Look at what verse 4 says. And we have confidence. There it is, trust. And we have trust, Paul says, in the Lord. Now, we don't always have trust in the Lord's people, but we do have trust and confidence in the Lord. Confidence for what? About you, he says, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. I'm trusting in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus. This is my confidence. This is my boast. This is my hope. All my eggs are in the Lord Jesus' basket. And I'm praying, 
Paul says, and I want you to pray for us, and I want you to pray for yourselves that you too will trust in the Lord Jesus for both present, that you are doing, and future commands of obedience, that you will do the things that we say. So it's present and future obedience. How critical is that in our prayer lives? How critical is that? I mean, you and I are all about being needy prayer warriors for both present and future obedience to the Word of God. How important is this? I mean, just in these little five verses, it it could be read so quickly and and become so ho-hum and uh, yeah, I, I got that, I got that. But let's talk about who, who are these rebellious idlers here, beginning in verse 6 and going all the way to verse 16. Who, who, who are these people? I mean, what's going on here? I want to find out who are these rebellious idlers, and I certainly don't want to be a member with them in the church. Hey, he's, he's telling us there are some marching orders here about the gospel and trusting in the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ for present and future obedience to the Word of God. And notice how he says it. I am confident that you are doing and that you will do these things that we command. You know what he's doing? Paul is setting them up for verses 6 to 15. He's setting them up. He's he's saying, I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to be ready, and I know you're presently obeying, and you're going to obey all the things that we command. And then in Verse 6, he says, oh, and by the way, there are a few of you that are rebellious idlers, and you must be warned. You must be admonished. Now, somebody could say, well, wait, 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 wait. If they're not doing present or possibly future obedience, how can he say we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command? Well, it's just like when I preach. I say, thank you for being the most loving and gracious the most honoring local church that any pastor could have, and you know that that is not true about some of you. Some of you go right out of here and have roast preacher for lunch. Ah, you know, he went too long, and oh, my goodness, you know, I just saying the same things over and over and over again. It's about obedience. It's about love. It's about charity. When are we going to get on to the second coming? Well, we did. We did. You remember? In both these letters. And it was because I wanted to go through it as well. Yeah, it's sometimes hard. It's sometimes difficult. It's sometimes you think you hear the same thing. But then there are some in the flock who need to be admonished, reproved. That, that's a way for them to be built up because they're not quite getting the message and they're not quite responding to it. So here's some marching orders for gospel partnership. Here it is. Prayer to the Lord Jesus for gospel growth and protection from gospel hindrances and faithfulness from the Lord Jesus for strength and safe safe coming, safe keeping from Satan himself concerning this diabolical one and trust in the Lord Jesus for present and future obedience to the word of God, even though some of you aren't actually doing that right now. And number four, and finally, directions by the Lord Jesus, direction by the Lord Jesus to God's love, and to Christ's endurance. Direction. We need prayer, we need faithfulness, we need trust, and we need direction. And this is that direction word. Direction means I need a roadmap. 
I need a path. And what's the path? Here's the path. I need a, I need a direction that takes me by the Lord Jesus, by his hand. He's leading me through this gospel partnership and communicating the truth to others, and I'm going to need something. And he says here, you need two things. May the Lord, verse 5, direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Yes. Yes, I most certainly need the directions for that. This is maybe what we could call a divine GPS. I need direction. Well, just just plug it in to your GPS. Just plug it in. What did we do decades ago when you and I were driving on all these streets around Southern California with the Thomas Guide? I mean, I, I can remember. I had one hand on the wheel. If you had a stick shift, you also had to have your right hand on the stick shift. You had to have your left hand on the wheel, and you had to have the Thomas Guide, like, uh, somewhere. Your lap? I mean, how did we... I mean, have accidents been reduced? I don't know. But here's what I know. You and I have the divine GPS. We've got direction. Direction. That's that word. May the Lord direct. May He give you the paths for what? He's going to take you right to the heart of the love of God. He's going to take you right to the heart of the love of God. Doesn't it say in Romans 5.5 that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts? And doesn't it say in Romans 8.39 that there is nothing, nothing, nothing that will separate us ever from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, when the, when the going gets tough, when the gospel is being rejected, when the apostolic band and those that they're encouraging to take their marching orders need help, where's our direction? Where's our location? Where are we going? And if you are a guy and you're the one driving, you know where you're going because your wife is telling you. She's helping you, and she doesn't have the break over there, so you need to listen. And we're listening, and here it is, may the Lord direct. Now, that may is not a maybe, sort of, I hope so, but it is an optative, and an optative in this case is an imperative. And here's the imperative, God will direct your hearts to the love of God. You say, I'm, I, I, I don't know how to communicate the gospel. I, I want to. I want to be a part of the apostolic band. I want to be a part of the living legacy of the chain of the gospel going far and wide. I want it to spread rapidly. I want it to be honored, to be glorified, and I need direction. And the first direction that Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this. I'm going to direct you right to the love of God. God loves you. God will keep you. God will shine his love upon you. It's not going to be an easy task, but God's love is always there. It's always there. And he's going to direct us to the steadfastness of Christ. I don't think that's anything other than this, to the love of God and to the very pattern of Christ's own steadfastness. You know, in 1 Peter 2, that says that when he was... was beaten when he was flogged, when he was spoken against, 
when he had all of that happening to him in his life, it says that he did not answer a word in return, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, God himself, God the Father. And then he says, and you do so likewise. Entrust yourself to God. And in this case, entrust yourself to Christ who is the steadfast one. Follow his example. Follow his pattern. This is the direction. This is the direction by the Lord Jesus to God's love and to Christ's own steadfastness. Did you know all of what I just told you for the last hour is in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? It is. Isn't that glorious? We got our marching orders. I mean, we have prayer, we have faithfulness, we have trust, we have direction. Anybody want to go on the journey with me? It starts now. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, this is our lives. This is why we're here. You could, you could take us right now. You could catapult us to heaven. You could conform us to your Son, our Lord Jesus, right in this instant with the last breath. But you keep us here. And we are to do your work. And we are to be a part of the gospel partnership. And we, we have to have these components, these marching orders. And we need all of these things. We need prayer. We need faithfulness from Christ. We need trust and confidence that our present and future obedience to the word of God will come because we're being given direction right into the very heart of God, his own love for us and the very steadfastness of Christ. We just look at him as the pattern and we follow likewise. Oh Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to see in these verses what for us is our destiny. This is the very direction of our lives. This is where we're going. This is where we should be going. This is what we should be saying, and we should tell others about the Lord Jesus. And if in eternity someone responds to the message from little old us, we will place that crown right at your feet and say, thank you. Thank you for giving me the words. Thank you for giving me the hope. Thank you for giving me the trust. And thank you for answered prayer and for the direction into your love and the steadfastness of your Son. Oh, Father, thank you for these days. Thank you for these exciting days that we can be a light, a city set on a hill glowing for the world to see. May it be so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.